This is Galen Gidman, and you're listening to episode 22 of The Young Gun Show. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Young Gun Show. Today's guest is a good one. He writes the popular JavaScript tutorials website, JavaScript Playground, and just published his first book with A-Press, beginning jQuery. And he's also he also has his own podcast, The Upfront Podcast. He's also a rep- regular contributor to Net Magazine. All that while going to university. Jack Franklin, you are a busy man. Thanks for joining us on The Young Gun Show. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you very much for inviting me on. Oh, well, I'm, I'm just pleased that you could find a time to get on here. I mean, I'm trying to remember the last time I had a little intro bio that was that long. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess I keep myself fairly busy. Yeah, well, um, it, It's all calmed down a little bit now, so I've got a bit more time, which is nice. Yeah, now well, now the great. book's out of the way. Yeah, well, we'll talk about that later because I'd love to hear about that. But um, I guess we'll, we'll shoot straight to the age-old icebreaker question first. How did you get your start? Uh, so, so when I was 13, 13, 14 years old, I played football or what you would call soccer, um, kind of in a local like Sunday, Sunday morning type league for just a town where I lived. And my dad was a coach. And one day the topic of this football club I played for having a website came up. Um, and, and my dad volunteered to build the website because he was interested in kind of HTML and CSS and how it all worked and kind of decided he'd built the website as a learning exercise for him. Um, and I was kind of fairly interested in web and all that stuff when I was that age, you know, quite kind of geeky and decided I'd learn it with him as well. And it kind of tumbled from there. So I, I did HTML and CSS and, and then dived actually more into PHP and then JavaScript. And then it just kind of all flowed from there. And then I started doing more and more web stuff and, and realized that it was probably something I'd end up doing full time rather than just as a hobby. And yeah, and that was really it. It all started from building a website for my local football team. Oh, very nice. So, so did you guys yeah. actually get one out the door, you and your dad? Yeah, yeah. Uh, mainly my dad, but yeah, we built one. And since then, it's had a few different revisions. And I think someone else does it now because uh, none of us are involved in the club anymore. So I'm not really sure if it still exists or what the state of it is, actually. But yeah, we did. It was used and managers would publish their results on there and you know so everyone could see all how the teams were doing it was it was quite good i mean probably looks rubbish now but back then it seemed quite good hey uh, we were talking <laughs> about this a couple of weeks ago with um tom ashworth and just saying how we all kind of you know there's a love and hate relationship with your first site so that's awesome yeah. when you can you know think about it fondly i guess uh so were you i mean were you doing client work all that time or uh, no, so I only, I did it just kind of as a hobby. And then when I started university, which was nearly three years ago, um, I, I started doing a bit of freelance <laughs> kind of in my spare time whilst at uni in my first year, you know, both cause I was doing this stuff as a hobby anyway. So I figured I'd see if I could make a bit of money, you know, just to help me out as well financially during university. And so maybe did five or six hours a week or so doing just, just basic stuff like, um, simple Photoshop mockups to websites or a bit of CSS fixing for people, that kind of thing. Uh, and yeah, so only really when I was 18, 
started uni did I really start doing any proper client projects um, just for kind of local agencies, just the odd bit of HTML, CSS work. Uh, and that, yeah, that just kept me going for university, really. Oh, very nice. So so one of your best known projects would be JavaScript Playground. That's javascriptplayground.com. Um, I guess, could you talk a little bit about that? Maybe what inspired you and I, I guess that kind of thing. Yeah, I've I've always liked blogging and writing about stuff. I've had must be five or six kind of blogs since I started CSS that kind of um you know, when I started learning I would make I made a blog and it wasn't very good and the tutorials weren't great, but I just kept writing and and then finally I, I came up with this idea of writing JavaScript blog because I didn't think there were that many out there um that offered a whole range of JavaScript tutorials and it's JavaScript is kind of what I do. Um, what I spend most of my time doing and I just kind of went for it. And I bizarrely, the idea all came about because Media Temple had a sale on domain names mm-hmm. and and I thought of the name JavaScript Playground and on the off chance saw them tweet that they had a sale and thought, oh, I'll see if it's available. And it was. So I got this JavaScriptPlayground.com really cheaply for like $10 or something. Um, and then a month later, I thought I had a spare weekend and thought, well, I should probably do something with that now. So I um, added, set up some hosting, um, asked a friend politely and bugged him to do a design and then just wrote some content. And it, I think one of my first articles featured quite highly on Hacker News and got tweeted a lot and it kind of went from there and it just, um, I kept writing and people kept visiting and the feedback was really good and it's kind of been that way ever since. I don't write nearly as much as I want to on it, um, just due to time constraints, but I'm trying to keep the content fairly regular. Oh, cool. So, um, when was that? I haven't, I haven't really kept up in the JavaScript blog scene too often. That so. was, that was, uh, just over a year ago. It was actually oh, okay. the blog turned one year old last weekend. Okay. So, so it's, it's, it's just a year old. Recent. Yeah. Yeah. Relatively. Um, I'm not sure I've ever had a blog last this long, so, um, okay. hopefully it'll be around for a while longer yet. Well, I hope so. You, you actually just got nominated for a Net Magazine Award. I don't know if that's a .NET Magazine or, or how you're actually supposed to say that, but regardless of how you're supposed to pronounce their name, you got <laughs> nominated for award, and that was Side Project of the Year, right? No. Oh, it um, wasn't. What was it? There were actually two. I nominated for two of their awards. It's um, it's a <laughs> it's Newcomer of the Year and Young Developer of the Year. Oh, okay. Uh, so, um. Oh, so yeah, it was you that was who was a mass nominated, shock. not really the blog. Yeah, and it was me as a person. Um, okay. I didn't the side project one I wasn't involved in, but uh, BM. I mean, I, a few people who nominated me. I guess there's no real other reason to than the blog. So I think the blog has kind of got me the nominations, um, just because it's allowed me to kind of write, and people have picked up on it and stuff. And it's kind of yeah, I guess everything that's happened in the last year or so really can all be pointed back to that blog um and and starting it and people noticing it and picking it up and chatting to me and a lot of opportunities have spawned from that yeah i i totally understand that a lot of times it's not about it, it's not your best work that gets you the chances it's the work that the most people saw and it's you know again right place right time or just the right thing maybe if it's not you know your best work ever it was just it filled a niche or you know that kind yeah. of thing yeah, definitely. Yeah, totally. I, I totally get that. Um, you know, this this podcast is 
it's not the best. Uh, the website until recently was terrible, and it's still not great. You know, the audio quality is generally pretty awful, and I'm certainly <laughs> not the most eloquent host. But uh, you know, it 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 fits a need for people, and it it kind of I don't know, people like it. So yeah, I'd say doing a pretty good job. Well, thanks. <laughs> You, you, you're also doing a podcast, actually. Uh, I was going to talk about that a little bit later, but we'll talk about it now since we're on the subject. Uh, you're doing your own with uh, Ben Howdle, I guess. Is that yep. how you pronounce it? Okay. And that's called the Upfront Podcast. So so tell us a story about that. Yeah. So um, I thought that I didn't have enough on, so I gave myself another thing to do. Well, there you <laughs> go. That's what we're, that's, that's yeah. your job, right? Yeah. So it started uh, beginning of this year, new year, I wanted to do something and yeah, just decided on a podcast and Ben, I'd spoken to a few times via the internet. I never met at that point. I don't think I'm lying. No, I had met him. I'd met him a few times at various meetups and things and he kind of volunteered as a co-host and we sort of said, right, you know, we'll just see what happens. It might be rubbish and we might quit after two weeks and no one will listen or people might quite enjoy it. And we were definitely pretty rubbish at the whole thing. Uh, at the beginning, but we we set out to do a weekly show. So we do be us two and a guest, and it'd be kind of thirty minute episodes every week. Uh, and we've just done twelve weeks, and we're now on a on a season break, um, taking a few weeks off before we return with some more episodes. But yeah, we managed twelve straight weeks with ten different guests, I think. Uh, which yeah, it's a lot. Like, you know, I know what it's like to run a podcast, and it's a lot of work. <laughs> And I have a lot of uh, respect for people like you who do it, do um, do it kind of so regularly and do such a lot because just a little half hour show takes an awful lot of effort. I can't imagine what it what it's like if you do a much bigger one. But it's been good fun. It's if anything, it's a good excuse for me and Ben to to grab a guest that we want to chat to and just chat to them. And we you know we just happen to record it and stick it out there, and people like listening. Absolutely, and I mean I think that's the the best. Um, that's the most enjoyable one to listen to. Have I mean. When was the last time Dan Benjamin sounded like an interviewer instead of, you know, he doesn't. He sounds like a, just a nice guy at a coffee shop having a, a chat with somebody. And it's it's great to listen to. Yeah, definitely. And that's kind of what we aim to have with Upfront. You know, it's just a casual chat. Um, but I think people have said listening, you know, we sounded quite scripted and nervous and tense at the beginning. And we slowly kind of relaxed into it and got more comfortable. And so hopefully we should you know, next, next season is, uh, hopefully going to be even bigger. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Hope so that we'll be looking forward to that. And so, so you're doing the seasons thing. That's interesting. Yeah. We never planned to, but we did 12. So we recorded our 12th episode and I said to Ben that we could probably should take a bit of a break and mm -hmm. plan what we want to do for next season, you know, email a few people we'd like on as guests because, before we were kind of emailing people only a week in advance and having to beg in a couple of places. And that was just not very good. So we're now trying to get ourselves organized and yeah, we just, we're going to split it into kind of 12 week seasons. Um, so three months at a time. And then we think, I mean, to be honest, we might end up changing it. Like we, we haven't got any set in stone rules. We're just going to kind of see the thing is if it starts becoming a real chore and we don't want to do it, then they won't be very good podcasts. So, um, you know, if in six months time, Ben says to me, actually, you know, this is just too much effort now, then we might just stop it, you know, maybe come back again. We don't know. We're just kind of seeing how we do it. And whilst we still enjoy doing it, we're still going to do it. 
basically. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I have respect for anyone that has a podcast now after after doing <laughs> it because it, it is just a lot of work. You wouldn't realize how much um, how much effort goes into, you know, 45 minutes of or 30 minutes or, you know, 10 minutes for that matter of a finalized audio. And obviously it does get better as you kind of learn how to write your show outlines and learn how to do quicker research and think of better questions and just kind of relax and be yourself. But yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. So. Yeah. And Skype is the most frustrating thing in terms of audio and and stuff. And it's just, if someone came out with a really good Mac podcasting app that would just let me talk with maybe two other people and record it all and somehow make sure the quality was good or whatever it did, I'd pay a lot of money for it because I'm so fed up with Skype that it's just, there doesn't seem to be anything out there. And obviously it's not an easy solution. I get that, but I still get very frustrated. You know, the, probably the, the comment we get the most is audio feedback and how it's not very good. And sometimes there's a bit of background noise and odd now and then it will just break out for a second, but this, it's really out of our control. You know, we can, mm-hmm. we have good microphones and, and try to spend time editing it, but really, it's just really difficult. And you're at the mercy of Skype as to how good your recording is going to be. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of, it comes with the territory. So yeah, um, I, I would encourage anyone that wants to gripe about that to try to do better. And, you know, um, yeah, a few people a better way to do it, then I, I would love to hear about it. But until then, yeah. Yeah, Skype is better than it used to. A couple of people have recommended Google Hangout as well. Mm-hmm. So we might try that just to see. But as I said, it's just a constant experiment for us mm-hmm. and seeing, you know, how it turns out, really. Yeah, do you, you guys use Audio Hijack Pro? No, we use a little thing called Skype Call Recorder. Okay. Just a little very simple thing that just gives us audio. Okay, I've heard of that, and I may have actually used it for one episode. Uh, you, you guys should try out audio hijack pro I'll, I'll throw it in the show notes because it's really made my podcasting quite a bit easier it's like 30 bucks not a big deal um and it's really really good so awesome. definitely ought to check that out yeah we will definitely so we mentioned this earlier you've been working on a couple of books uh the most notable i suppose your first book uh beginning jquery a press just published it that's pretty cool what was that experience like from writing it to to maybe finding a publisher to, you know, just the whole thing, I guess. Well, I was quite lucky in that the publisher found me. Um, <laughs> and again, this comes back to the blog. It was someone from uh, a press emailed a friend of mine called Keir, who asking him about potential writers for JavaScript books. And he couldn't do it, but he mentioned my name and linked them to my blog. And clearly they read my blog and seemed to like it. And then I had an email from them talking about how they'd like me to write a JavaScript book. Uh, and and it didn't take long before we decided that jQuery 1 would be suitable for me because probably at the time at least was what I, you know, kind of probably my main area of expertise and they wanted a beginning jQuery book, kind of it was a space in their catalogue. Uh, and then, yeah, so that was back in July last year and it was released at the beginning of February. So... Well, that's not uh, a heck of a lot of time. You kind of moved pretty quickly. No, on that. it was it was really mad. Uh, it was a chapter every twelve days or so, and that was very difficult. And there were a few late nights after work where I'd finished work in the office at five, six, and would be there till nine or ten writing. Um, 
you know, it, it was tough. It was really difficult, especially towards the end. The kind of last chapter, last two chapters were real slog because it's like, I'm so close to this. Mm-hmm. I can almost feel the finish and I just wanted to get it out. And it was difficult. I mean, I love doing it. It was lots of writing and the blog did suffer as a, you know, because I had spent so much time on the book, which was a shame, but you know, now it's done. It's I mean, brilliant. I've got a book. Right? I have 20 copies of my book sitting on my bookshelf and that's just awesome. And people, some people have bought them and say it's really helped and that it's been good and feedback has been nice. And, and yeah, it was something I always wanted to do. You know, I always used to write tutorials and things and you, you know, one day I'd love to write a book. I didn't think it would happen before, um, you know, this early on. So that's kind of mad, but yeah, it was enjoyable, enjoyable and hard work as well. Right. Well, it's one of those things, you know, the projects you hate the most at the time you're doing them are generally the ones you kind of look back on with the, you know, the the best feeling in your, you know, in your chest almost. I don't know how yeah. else to say it. It's just that you hate it when it's when it's going on, but when it's done, it just feels so good. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, so I mean, but you had kind of been looking at doing a book. It was just kind of right place, right time, I guess. Yeah, well, I'd written a, um, a friend of mine set up a really small publishing company to do books, and I wrote a little ebook for him, which was a free one. It was all about coffee script. Okay. And I'd, ri- I'd written that, and that was good fun, but that was only 40 pages, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot smaller than, than you know, and it was, it's a free ebook. It, we kind of did it kind of quite relaxed, and this was all proper, the J. Crew book. And it was, um, so yeah, I'd always been looking into it and, you know, had a couple of ideas for books in the back of my head, but, I wasn't planning to actively go and look for someone to publish my book mm-hmm. and it just, they dropped me an email and I just sort of went, why not? Um, and it kind of tumbled from there and yeah, they liked my proposal for the J crew book. It got accepted and then I just started writing and then all of a sudden it was over really. Wow. That's, that's pretty neat. So, I mean, what is, what is writing a book look like on a, on a, you know, practical basis to you? I mean, when you sit down to write, did, did you kind of like plan out the, the outline and that kind of a thing? Or did they kind of give you how they wanted it structured and then you kind of wrote around that? Or, or how does that kind of a thing work for us that aren't privileged enough or smart enough to actually be authors ourselves? <laughs> um, so at least, I don't know, other companies may do it differently, but with A-Press it was, um, you had to write a proposal first and that was an outline of every chapter. So the title of each chapter and then kind of the main sections of that chapter and a bit of description. Uh, and that had to be written, submitted and approved by the board before you could start writing. So by the time I sat down to write chapter one, I had a structured idea in my head and on paper of what it was going to look like and how many pages it would be and what sections would be where and all that thing. And there's leeway because once you start writing, you often will realize that actually you need to do talk about this bit much before you actually thought you did or you need to reference something but to do that you need to explain something else so it it did change a bit from my proposal but that's just natural and yeah I, I'm glad I did it that way because I think if you don't have some form of structure with something that long that you're working on over such an amount of time it, you'd very easily just just completely lose track and and it was good knowing what I was going to write next. And I had everything planned out and that was nice. I think I'd have gone a bit mad if I was kind of making it up as I went along. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I had a solid structure when I was writing and although I deviated a little bit, which is kind of to be expected overall, tried to stick with it. And, and yeah, 
yeah, it, it was it was good. And you know, my editors were really good at press, and they kept me kept me on track and suggested edits. And I had a really good technical reviewer who was really useful as well. And they they helped me out a lot. Uh, and so that's one way. And the other way, in my opinion, is to write about something. Mm-hmm. So people say to me, um, "Could I do a tutorial on?" Say, could I do a tutorial on, I don't know, making a jQuery slider, something like that. And I say, well, I don't really know about that, but, you know, I'll, I'll just go and learn it and then I'll write about it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the things I write are actually me wanting to learn about that thing and needing a way to do it. People, you know, um, I wrote a tutorial on, I think, Handlebars, the templating library for JavaScript. And I'd barely ever done it before, but I wanted to. I knew it was you know, good, a lot of people talking about it. So I said, right, I'll write a tutorial about it. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I am writing about stuff I know quite well, and it's just writing about it because I need some new content. But other times it's I'm learning basically as I'm writing the tutorial. Okay. And doing a video series at the moment, which is about uh, Node and ExpressJS and Backbone, a whole all load of things which I know a bit of, but I'm fairly new to. So I'm kind of learning just a bit ahead of what I'm writing and recording about. So yeah, I mean, a lot of people seem to think I know everything there is to know about JavaScript and various libraries and node, but I really don't. Um, and I just spend a lot of time researching for tutorials and often I'll write about something, get halfway through and realize I don't know enough to say what I want to say or explain this concept well. So I'll then spend, you know, a few hours researching and hacking on it until I do. And then I'll revisit the article and end up with a better article and that happened with the book too so in -hmm. a couple of places I had to explain something and realized that actually I wasn't entirely comfortable with my explanation so I took half a day to go and write some code read some tutorials experiment and then went aha now I know why that works and now I can actually explain it much better in in a much better way so a lot of the time it's for my own benefit as well as the people who end up reading these things exactly yeah and I mean that ties in so well to, I mean, the next question I had on the list, actually, and it was, you know, a lot of designers and developers, but it's, I mean, I notice this especially a lot with designers say that you, that you should write so you know what you believe about something. And, you know, from what I've seen, that's kind of more in the, uh, in relation to design or philosophy, religion, that, I mean, that kind of a thing, more of the, you know, not so nuts and bolts stuff, but, you know, you've done a lot of the nuts and bolts writing. Uh, and I, you know, I was going to ask, does the same apply? But I mean, it, it seems like it, it does. Yeah, definitely. I think so. If you, if you really want to test your knowledge on a particular concept or particular third party library, then write a tutorial on it and see how you get on. And you may all discover there's the odd bit where you actually need to go and learn some more stuff and then you'll learn stuff and that's great. Or you write a really good tutorial because you really do know that thing inside out and then other people will benefit. So it's really win-win for others as well as myself. Uh, but yeah, I really do think if you want to test your knowledge, write about that thing. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, big, big fan of that. I guess I'll just play the devil's advocate here just for a second for the fun of it. What would you say to the, the, the concept that, well, you shouldn't really write about something if you don't know it that well because... You know, if you make a mistake, you could lead other people um, astray from maybe the correct way of doing it just simply because, you know, you're new to it and you learn things as you gain experience in them. Yeah, I think there's a difference between writing about something when you really 
are completely new to it and writing about it after you've done a little bit of initial learning. Um, but to be honest, now and then I will make mistakes in my blog posts, but there's comments on the blog post. People are usually very quick to point out my mistakes and uh, my strategy is to immediately kind of hold my hands up, say I got that wrong. Fair enough. Thank you for putting it out. And then I'll amend the article. You can't, especially, I mean, for technical blogs, you can't write a blog post if you're fearful of making mistakes. Now and then you're going to make a mistake. Or a couple of times I've written a tutorial on something and it's been valid, but someone mm -hmm. in the comments has gone, actually, you could have done this this way and this is better because X, Y, Z. And actually, I, I've then gone, yeah, I didn't think of that. That's really good and much better and just edited the article. Um, so yeah. I get your point and I think, I've never sat down and written an article about something I know absolutely nothing about or something that I'm not at all interested in. I'm not, I don't write just for the sake of writing something because then you end up with incorrect rubbish blog posts that just aren't good. It's always been stuff I've been interested in and known a bit about or wanted to learn more about or kind of try to consolidate my knowledge. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, you know, I mess up now and then and people point it out sometimes nicely, sometimes not nicely, but you know, it's all about just improving the blog. And if, you know, I tr do try to spot any comments, you know, I try to respond to comments. I don't really succeed, but in particular comments that point out an error or a better way of doing something, I really do try and find those and update the article and say thanks to the person who left the comment. Cause it's, it's, they're really doing it for the benefit of me and everyone who reads these articles, you know, for now. And well, most of the time. Yeah. You're, yeah. Most of the time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But yeah, you know, it happens. I'm, I make mistakes, but generally I think most of my tutorials are good. I'm trying to get into the habit of asking people to review them before I post them, but it's difficult because everyone is just busy as it is. And so sometimes that works, other times it doesn't. But, you know, I just, you know, I just see how it goes really and make up as I go along. And yeah, if I were to make a mistake in every single tutorial I've ever write, then I'd probably have to take a step back and say, right, I'm doing something wrong. Well, and, and there's, but, I guess, a difference you know, between mistakes and just little inefficiencies, you know? Yeah. Every once yeah. in a, you know, everyone, there's, there's always something, someone that knows something about something that you don't know, no matter how good you are at it. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, it's, it's just, it's, that's the way it works. That's the way learning things works. Yeah. And for people coming in, you know, maybe thinking about starting a blog, my biggest fear was that there's, there are people out there who know this better than me. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you just got to go for it. If if you've got something you think is useful and other people should know, you've got to do it. You know, I've mm -hmm. been doing that. Recently, I've been lucky enough to speak at a couple of conferences and I was really worried about doing this technical JavaScript talk because there's a high chance someone in the audience will know this just as well, if not better than me. But you just got to kind of get over that because you know, you want to write this blog because you know about this. So you just got to go for it. And now and then people point out mistakes and then you learn and you improve your article and you improve everything. It's just, there's no real lose situation for me for writing these tutorials. Um, yeah, you've got to be open to criticism and accept you'll make mistakes, but really it's, you know, everyone benefits from it. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's, it's also interesting, you know, in, in regards to the speaking, a lot of the talks I see at conferences, you know, in videos or whatever, they're not, uh, you know, they're fairly non-technical. They're fairly, 
baseline stuff, responsive web design. Usually they don't tell you advanced techniques. They tell you the gist of it. A lot of people know the gist of it, you know, and and these are events like event apart, you know, so. um. Uh, I kind of sympathize because it's difficult to do a very technical talk, but at the same time, yeah, it's different. Some of the best conference talks I've seen are ones where I've looked at it and gone, I won't like that. Or I don't think that's for me because it will have seemed quite abstract, but often those are the best ones. But but now and then it's nice just to go to a really technical talk. Mm -hmm. It's difficult when you, you know, to do a really technical talk, but it can be done. And some people do do it really well. Well, But I know what you mean. A lot, a lot of the times it feels like kind of the same kind of talk or, you know, the introduction to responsive design is kind of gone around the block enough times, I guess, but Mm -hmm. yeah, it's difficult. I mean, yeah, it's a tough one that, and I think I agree with you can see why it is that way yeah well i mean in the you know as as i understand why they do it in an event apart you've got you know thousands of people from different backgrounds and whereas you know you maybe if it's a if it's a javascript conference you could do a little bit um, more technical more of a niche kind of approach to what you want to talk about but yeah yeah interesting stuff yeah so you've obviously done a lot in a short time, I say short, you've been at it seven years, but you know, it, you know, you're only 20. So, so there you go. Yeah. <laughs> you've written a book and you're only 20. So, so I guess a lot in a short time is pretty fitting. Um, what are your plans for the future? You're in your last year of university. What's next? Uh, well, I'm actually not quite in my last year of university because I am on a work placement. Okay. Um, so I go back to university in September to start my final year. So the next, 16 or so months um will will be about going back to university and and finishing my degree and hopefully getting a good grade uh from then i don't really know to be honest i've not got any hard plans there's a few things i'd like to do a couple of companies i'd like to work for if i had the opportunity Mm -hmm. um but to be honest i'm just going to make it up as i go along and see what happens um you know probably maybe in a few months time i might have more of a concrete idea at the moment i've spoke to a few people kind of, you know, just briefly about potentially would love to kind of go and work for you or your company when I graduate, but it's all kind of a lot of just chatting and stuff and nothing, nothing set in stone. I think I'll keep it that way for now. Um, but yeah, I'm also kind of easing my workload a bit at the moment just to chill out a little bit after the book and stuff. And I'm, I live in London at the moment, but I'm only here for a couple more months. So I'm trying to make the most of that before I go back to university um, and just chill out a bit and try, you know, the book and stuff kept me so busy and I, I want to write more content for the blog. I want to launch a couple of side projects maybe, or at least try and get some more stuff on GitHub, maintain a couple of my open source projects a bit better and try and grow them. Um, so lots of stuff, but hopefully a bit more chilled out than the past eight months because really the book was really good, but also quite stressful. But yeah, longer term, I've no idea. You know, I'll make it up as I go along. <laughs> Sounds good. I'm sure we'll all benefit from it. Um, <laughs> I sent out a question on Twitter. Anyone, you know, questions, comments, complaints for Jack Franklin? And uh, David Anspaugh sent in a question. He said, Oh, no. Do developers need to know straight JavaScript anymore? Or is it possible to be proficient in many libraries without ever needing to dive into the basics of JS? And I think this is kind of a, when you get down to the root of it, it's, it's, do I really need to learn plain JavaScript or can I just learn jQuery and be okay? 
uh, a lot of people do just learn jQuery and jQuery is great in the regard that it brings the baseline for entry down, which is great. And I, I, I entered the JavaScript world just through jQuery, but no, you, if, if someone's coming in now, I'd really recommend them learning as much JavaScript as they can before diving into jQuery. At the end of the day, when you're writing jQuery, you're writing JavaScript and jQuery is often used as this black box, this magic thing where I can call fade out and it just works. But if you don't know JavaScript, you'll probably write inefficient um, jQuery or probably just not write good code. The more JavaScript you know, the better jQuery can be. And I certainly am a massive advocate of learning as much JavaScript as you can. Or even if if you're listening to this now and perhaps you've just learned jQuery for the past year or so, just now and then just go back and and just try and learn about how jQuery works. There's so much good JavaScript to jQuery that you can learn from. Paul Irish uh, did a couple of videos called Things I Learned from the jQuery Source. And they're about they're screencasts about an hour each. And it's when he loads up the actual jQuery source file and says, this is how it works behind the scenes. This is some of the cool JavaScript we use. Mm-hmm. And I've watched those more than once and they're really good. But just, yeah, you should make an effort because as well, longer term, with browsers getting more and more advanced, um, the older browsers that don't support JavaScript stuff so well kind of slowly dying out. More and more people now are actually looking at just using JavaScript and not needing something like jQuery. Mm-hmm. And and while I think that's potentially a bit premature especially if you have to support all the browsers, older internet explorers. Um, you know, long-term, I think there will be less of a need for jQuery, particularly if you're working on some project that only requires you support the very latest browsers. Mm-hmm. So I think now more than ever, there is, you know, stuff like Node as well, and all the f- cool things we can do with Node, writing just JavaScript, there is now even more of a reason to put effort into learning JavaScript and not jQuery, um, because I think... Longer term, we will write more and more plain JavaScript with less and less libraries like jQuery. Where would you recommend people go learn uh, vanilla JavaScript? Uh, Code Code Academy, something like that? Yeah, something like that. Um, if you just want pure documentation, the Mozilla documentation mm-hmm. um, is the best place to go. That's not There's not great tutorials on there, but just for pure docs, it's really good. Um, there's a website that just came out called SuperHero.js which is a big collation of um, links and resources. Uh, a couple of good books. Everyone always recommends Douglas Crockford's JavaScript, The Good Parts. Uh, it's a very good book. I wouldn't recommend it as a real beginner. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, there is a really good book. I've forgotten what it's called. Um, I read one by Jeremy Keefe called Dom Scripting, which mm-hmm. is probably a little out of date now, but was very good. Um, and just... I mean, I learned most of it just through Google, just Googling for a specific problem. Particularly, a lot of the time you'll find your responses on a Stack Overflow question. Yeah, absolutely. And you can usually, because of how many people look at that site, you can usually rely on the answers there to be good quality. Mm-hmm. And because it's so busy, the good answers that people actually say, yeah, that's the right way of doing this, rise to the top. So that's usually actually a really good resource just because of the amount of people who will have kind of approved the answer for it to be an answer that you will see means it's probably the good you know a good answer but just generally just the internet there's code um code academy i there's um code school but i'm not sure if they have a vanilla javascript um I don't know. one actually i i watched a few code school videos on a number of things and they are really good 
but I've not, I don't know if they do a plain JavaScript one. I wouldn't have looked for it, so I'm not entirely sure. Um, if they do, their videos are usually very good if they have any JavaScript-related stuff. Um, yeah, there is an O'Reilly book. I can't remember which one it is, but there's a few. There's one really good one that I just read. It's, it's called something like jQuery to JavaScript. I can dig out the link for the show notes, but it it, it talks about JavaScript from the point of view of someone who's just looked at jQuery. Mm-hmm. It's quite a short book, um, but that was really, really good. Okay. So there's a few, and I can't remember them all now, but I will find some for the links uh, for the podcast. Okay, that would be great. Yeah, I'm just looking at Code School. They have... It doesn't look like there's just a vanilla JS one, you know, kind of the basics. They have uh, the basics of jQuery and then um, advanced jQuery, CoffeeScript, Backbone, Node, Backbone 2, that kind of thing. But Okay. Mm-hmm. There is JavaScript, the good parts mm-hmm. from O'Reilly, but that is really a big deep dive into the, into the, li- into the language. Sorry. So potentially almost a bit, because it's a massive book, it's almost too overwhelming. Mm-hmm if anything. Um, but uh, I'm just looking at the O'Reilly site. Yeah, there's the book I mentioned called Learning from jQuery. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's very good. Um, they've got a lot on there, and I will I will find the ones because I do have a list somewhere, but there are really good books. Um, and the good parts, the Douglas Croft one is a very good book, but I probably wouldn't read it as the very first thing I read okay. on JavaScript, but I would recommend reading it once you've kind of learned a bit more. Uh, but yeah, there's lots of resources out there and I'll, I'll dig some out. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, I mean, and thank you for that. And thank you for coming on today. This is, this has been a lot of fun and I know I've learned a lot, so I'm sure other people will too. Awesome. Yeah. It's nice to be just a guest on the podcast. I know, I know it's, now. it's so much less pressure, isn't it? Yeah. You've got to go and edit this and do mm-hmm. all that stuff. And now I could just turn off Skype and I'm done. So yeah, no, thank you very much for inviting me on. Uh, it's always good to chat this kind of stuff. Uh, any excuse for me to chat this is, is a good one. So yeah, I've really enjoyed it. You can find Jack on Twitter. He's Jack underscore Franklin, or you can catch him on his personal site. That's jackfranklin.co.uk. Like always, thanks for listening.